Sisters podcast with Nicole and John Ellen. Welcome to the Radical Awareness podcast. This is John and Nicole. And uh, we're very excited to be sharing with you today uh, what is known as the 10 raw principles, uh, principles for trauma-informed yoga and yoga teaching but what, also john for living yes yes what we have discovered over contemplating these principles um, is that they really do apply to life as does much of the kind of yoga approach it can be very much used as a metaphor for living or not even really a metaphor <laughs> <laughs> as some guidelines maybe <laughs> Some guidelines, maybe. Yeah. so trauma-informed of you. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, so a little bit about them because we are really excited with these principles and they've only really been, I'm going to say, birthed in the last few months. But they are the kind of fundamental, the foundation, let's say, of how we we work and how we teach and what we've noticed actually how we now more live our lives. And because we've been running, we've been running teacher trainings for five years and our students have been our greatest teachers. I humbly and honestly say that. And we've learned so much about how to approach teaching and sharing these practices and to support other people and to be able to share them in a really holistic and inclusive way. So the principles yeah, have been things that we've been kind of saying repetitively for the past few years, but didn't necessarily have them written down in a coherent way. And everyone was kind of um, getting on board, but we were like, we need to put this down or we would like to kind of write this down and make it a little bit more structured in that sense. Mm. And we did this over about a 10 minute period um, when we were just kind of playing with what, what, would, what would it look like if we had 10 principles to what we do um, and how the studios run and how we live our lives. And this is what, this is what um, we came up with. And we're very excited to share it here. Also, I'm very excited because currently I am writing the the book, the Radical Awareness book, and it is very much based around these 10 principles and ideas um, and going into them a little more deeply, more applying to kind of our life in general and just through my own, I guess, experiences and our experiences of teaching and sharing and living and being in a relationship together, really, mm, and yep. what that means. And so on our kind of journey or invitation or exploration towards the creation of a trauma-informed world um, we feel like these principles are a, a step in the right direction yes yeah. we do you know you've got to have big goals in life and yeah. I know for myself and I'd say for both of us it was it was like oh, let's just stay small you know we'll do this thing over here and and oh no you know we can't have these big goals and then being like, what about if we were just honest that what we want to see is, you know, peace on earth. We want mm. to see a trauma-informed world. We want to see people having tools to actually regulate themselves in times of stress and emotional overload and knowing how to navigate your human experience with more ease and grace. And so as soon as we kind of labeled that of like, nah, let's have big goals. Um, we then could come up with things like our own 10 principles and move forward with a bit more courage, uh, bravery, integrity, rather than thinking or getting stuck in the idea of tall poppy syndrome, you know, such a, 
such a New Zealand thing of of not sort of stepping out in line or not kind of rising to the challenge, let's say. Mm, or, you know, to use the analogy, you don't want to be the, the tall poppy that sticks up amongst, or sorry, not amongst, but above the others because you'll get your head cut off by the mower. So you want to be in line with everybody else. And so if you haven't heard the analogy before, that is very much what the tall poppy syndrome is all about. Thank you for clarifying. Mm. I tend to do that, just assume everyone knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's such a terrible, terrible thing to tell people, right? <laughs> like, one, we're not flowers, but flowers are beautiful, but also they, they should also be able to express themselves authentically, which they do because they're nature. It's probably us cutting them down. Um, and a field of poppies are never the same height. Never. Like, come on. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, it is it is there. It is, in our again, in our compliance schooling systems that we should just um, all stay the same, get in line, get the job, and feel just a little bit miserable so you, you don't step out and become too Misery creative. Misery is just part of life, though. Just, just deal with it. Get on and dig your heels in and get on with it. <laughs> That's the way it is. No, disagree, 100%. Um, life could be very joyful and very beautiful and humbling and magical. Uh, doesn't mean that things aren't going to come that are hard, but there is a way to navigate it with ease and grace. So, Without any further ado. <laughs> I've got one more thing. <laughs> ah, with some further ado. One of the things I think that is an issue that I see is that most adults are not adulting. <laughs> You know, it's like we remain as about, I don't even want to say 12-year-olds, but more like four-year-olds. And we don't have the ability to regulate our own emotions. Um, we don't seem to have the ability to even show kindness or just take space in between what's going on. And there's definitely a lack of ability to, ability, sorry, sorry, to reflect and be more reflective on on our situations and who we are and kind of this ability to look at ourselves really honestly. And I think adulting is being more reflective. It's being able to know how to regulate. It's knowing when, when your nervous system isn't balanced. And we will talk a lot about that, more about that in future podcasts, but um, not being able to have the tools to regulate ourselves is not adulting in my opinion. So that brings um, me to the first principle, principle one, as it's known, Let's go through all 10 principles, talk about them, and then come back to them one by one, or else uh, it'll be a little bit of a time What sucker. do you mean, John? Yeah. <laughs> I do like this topic. Yes. They are very... I do like them. Yeah. So <laughs> So I'm going I'm to list them for us. He's not going to let me do them. He's, he knows list, what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to list them for us, and then we'll go through them one by one. And then if we don't get to the end, you will have heard all 10 of them, at least a little bit, <laughs> and, uh, and then we can cover the rest on further episodes so starting with the first one the first one is do your own work first second principle oh. everybody has trauma third principle know your breath know your body know your story know your practice fourth principle your teaching isn't your practice fifth principle their body their alignment. Sixth principle, inclusion to empowerment. Seven, observation is your greatest teacher. Eight, 
Move from gross to subtle. Nine, invitation and choice at every opportunity. Culminating in number 10, through self-led discipline comes true freedom. Mm. Mm, that was very well done. Yes. I had to hold back. John could tell. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to just go into a little bit, as I do, on first principle, which is do your own work first. And I initially wanted to call this principle, don't be a dick. <laughs> um, but we thought maybe that that wasn't really going to land in the way that do your own work first does. Also, it can be thought of as put your own oxygen mask on first. Mm, mm. And this idea, and I've talked about this before, if you've ever listened to me talk on other platforms, that to actually do our own work is, is about cultivating awareness and interoception, which again, we will talk about in much more detail later. But it's about knowing that we are good people and at the same time we're also bad people or how I quite often like to say it is we're good people and we're assholes and every one of us has this polarity within us and so often when we don't radically honestly come to terms with the fact that we are good and we're bad right that then we will perpetually go around perpetually is that a mm, word perpetually go around defending our own goodness and falling into um, the trap of victimization, righteous victimization, even worse. Uh, not to say that there's anything wrong with this, because remember, when we haven't learned the tools of awareness or how to regulate or how to reflect, the only choice we have is to kind of defend our own goodness or be in this sort of spiral of oscillating between, oh my gosh, oh, I'm so shit, I didn't do it, or oh, I'm amazing, and all those people suck over there, leads to judgment and separation, and ultimately our own uh, internal suffering and struggles. Could so, you please give an example <laughs> of defending your own goodness? Yes, yes, I can. Defending your own goodness would be, oh gosh, now you've put me on the spot. Have you got one you want me to talk about? Well, I think it's important to kind of clarify it because... Um, some people may be listening and they may think, well, of course I'd defend my own goodness. If I was good, then I was right. Why would I not defend that? Good point. Okay. Yep. So I'm going to use the word here, humility, right? And that in every situation, in every conflict you come into with people or yourself, um, generally, let's just think of a conflict between you and one other person where you don't agree on something and you've decided in your mind that you're definitely right. And in some perception, whatever it is, you may be right according to one perception. What's important to understand is that in any conflict with anybody, no matter what it is about, I'm going there, is that both people are right and both people are wrong in accordance to the opinion and the perception that they are discussing or arguing from and when we are perpetually trying to defend ourselves we're saying no but I am right and then we might go and share the conflict with another person and relay the story of how unreasonable this other person was for being so wrong when they were so right and then instead of zooming out and seeing the bigger picture that actually both people were right both people were wrong we go and tell the story to somebody else and we defend our goodness. We say, oh, it was so hard for me because I'm right and I'm good and they're bad and please get on board with me. And then that person gets on board with you. And then internally, you're kind of creating this, 
this false sense of reality and it turns into righteousness. It turns into defending your own goodness. And I'm not even saying there's anything wrong with this because in a lot of times, and this is ex not excluding, but of course, sometimes people are being very abusive and I'm not necessarily talking about that, but it's understanding that when we're constantly defending our own goodness, we create uh, yeah, an unnatural sort of reality inside, which doesn't actually soothe us at all. There is no humility in that. It tends to build our own pedestal and righteousness. And if we can say, well, yes, a part of me is right, but also I can accept that a part of their experience is right and we can let them go over there and have their subjective experience, we can kind of come down into more of a space of humility, which actually regulates our system more and we're able to find um, more center in that. But the constant thing that tends to happen in our sort of more, let's say modern societies where there isn't much adulting going on or regulation is that we have encounters and then rather than resolving it within ourselves to find that space of balance and humility, we just go around and, and share these stories and constantly we're like defending and validating our own goodness and then validating the other people around us and just creating judgment and separation and pain as opposed to, hey, can I help you with this? Can we look at this more honestly? And it's not to say you were wrong and we've just got to love them. It's never about discrediting your emotions. It's just understanding that there is a bigger picture that will actually bring you more peace. If you recognize that in every in everything, we're wrong and right. We are the good person and we're the asshole. And I use asshole or, or something like idiot, you know, how often we call people things just kind of casually, oh, that guy's an asshole, where it's like, well, in essence, no, he's not. He just holds a very different worldview or his behavior doesn't align with what you agree with. But when we can zoom out, we can find more humility in our own experience and also compassion for those around us. So this is why we call it radical awareness, because it steps out of the regular framework of how we deal with each other. But also by doing this, we could create so much more harmony and love and be in a much more trauma-informed world if we understand how to do our own work first. Mm. And you could see eventually, hopefully, you can see that someone has come to the conclusion they have about something from the life journey that they've had, which might include, and is highly likely to include, we might say it definitely includes, mm -hmm. a life that had some trauma in it. Which brings us to point number two, principle number two. <laughs> Everybody has trauma. Everybody. Everybody. And we have put a little line here. It's trauma stores in the physical, mental, and emotional bodies. And this, I'm not saying everyone has massive trauma, but everybody does have trauma. And that it is just a word, right? And at the moment, trauma is a very popular word in, in these kind of circles mm. um but when we can recognize again from this place of as you do your own work you start to recognize the similarities between people that were all good we're all assholes i think what was the band called rem they said everybody hurts everybody does hurt everybody that's basically suffers. all it means that's yeah. what we're talking about when we're talking about mm. trauma everybody hurts yeah and it's the i mean it is a fundamental truth in in buddhism right mm. that the essence of life is suffering or frustration. Or less than perfect, you yeah. might say. Sarvam dukkham, the, um, the Sanskrit, so the word for suffering, dukkha. 
it actually means it means doesn't quite fit right mm, like that shoe you know Ooh. that shoe based on the um the analogy of the the axle going into the wheel of the cart and if the axle doesn't fit perfectly into the hole in the wheel then you have a bumpy ride then you're suffering so it doesn't quite fit right which causes suffering mm-hmm. and so that's thank you beautiful because everybody has trauma in this way and our like the human experience is just in so many ways quite traumatic when you're not doing your own work when you don't have awareness everything can feel random and like it's happening to you and that it's hard and that it's suffering and the the importance of understanding this and why it is the second principle is to bring in more compassion for yourself which always has to go first like i've mentioned ahimsa first loving kindness for yourself is essential so you've got to recognize that you've experienced trauma first and what that means to be very clear is not that you have to be a victim of your own trauma but there is a process of recognizing that you have been a victim to things that have happened in your life you know, generally in our early life because you know there's just other people who raise us who might not be adulting very well and so their trauma is then our trauma and it's just like trauma whacking trauma i think is very much out of um dr gabamate's work as well and there's a lot of stuff on intergenerational trauma but then we oh i lost it you lost it yeah no oh, please continue everybody has trauma you know you you have to recognize that there is trauma that's come from any oh, part of your upbringing thank you john mm. Whew, you know just sitting here <laughs> so um yeah as children you've got to recognize that you were the the victim in a sense to your to your trauma before you can kind of heal that because you've got to be able to own it you've got to say this happened to me to then bring your power back to come back to your center and without recognizing it happened without saying i am a victim to what happened to me you cannot own it you can't have your power back and then you don't have the opportunity to kind of thrive and learn from it and take the wisdom out of those experiences you and this doesn't say, mean yeah. you can't change what's not yours so yes. if you don't own it mm -hmm. you don't make it yours you don't have the right to change it because you haven't accepted that it is yours to change just yet mm. yeah and then i think there's fear around this like oh that's i'm going to be in therapy for the rest of my life or i'm uh, going to have to you are you know <laughs> this is therapy life is therapy you know you can't no human can just bypass the human experience and you especially can't do it with thoughts or my favorite line of like oh, i'm just i'm just a simple guy like it doesn't get to me i'm like don't worry it will find you <laughs> it will manifest in your sleep it'll manifest in your body it will manifest in disease it will manifest in your relationships Injury. it's there so you cannot you cannot bypass it. You can't think your way out of it with your cognitive mind. But at the same time, this isn't about diving into every single painful experience that happened. It's bringing awareness to it. And if you had a lot of trauma in your life, then I would highly recommend doing this sort of work with somebody else, you know, with a therapist, with a train, trained trauma specialist to support you, aside from the fact that we are social beings designed to do this type of work in community or having community groups, or I know John's mentioned 12-step programs and mm. things like that, but we all need a 12-step program, <laughs> right? We all need a community where we can actually share honestly and kind of go into these aspects of ourselves, not so that we sit, sit around the whole time having a cry, 
That's actually not it. When the emotion comes, if you are not resistant, if you are not fearful to your own internal landscape, you allow it to arise, you experience it, and then it leaves, right? It's like a, a, a purging and a releasing. You're not going to be this sort of wet flannel human just flailing around and all your crying and drama. It's going to move through you. So you have more vitality. You have more access to your creative self, to, to your passion, to the essence of how you want to live your life. But without recognizing it, when we just sort of stay in that, that fear pattern, the numbing patterns, we're robbing ourselves actually of our essence and the potential for our lives to be what we want them to be. But again, free will is essential and very, very important. And I just, I just want to say one more thing because recently I've been very unwell. Um, and so during my time of being unwell, I watched Friends, you know, the series. I was like, I'm going to watch this show with awareness because I grew up on the show and I was relatively shocked because you can just, I could see all of the programming that had happened to me through this television show. But there's one episode with Bruce Willis <laughs> and he comes on, he's someone's, I think, oh, he's Ross's girlfriend's dad, right? And Rachel, if you know friends, hopefully you know what I'm talking about. And if you know, if you don't know Bruce Willis, think the movies, the diehard movies. He's the, he's the tough guy. He just, you can't defeat him. You can't knock him down. Doesn't he just talk, keeps coming you know? back. He's just strong and silent. I mean, <laughs> listen to this title, Die Hard. Yeah. Yeah. So Bruce Willis, right? They bring him on. Rachel dates him. And then he's all just like this, this strong, silent type man. And she's like, ah, I just want to talk. We don't talk. Anyway, he finally decides to talk and they start talking. And then he just starts talking about his childhood and crying and crying. And Rachel's like, oh, my God, I wish I'd never asked. And I'm sitting there, jaw on the ground, like, oh my gosh, the detrimental conditioning of this episode to basically say, especially to men, there's such toxic masculinity of saying, you know, don't even go there. Don't look at anything that's happened because once you unleash the emotions, you will never be able to stop them. And I just want to put that to bed. That is not how this works. But we've got to realize that we have seen this and it is in our... Uh, our pop culture and what a lot of us of our generation have grown up with of this idea that it's not even safe to go into those emotions because we'll just become this crying mess who can't function. And in fact, it is the exact opposite. That's true. Mm, absolutely. And all of these things that you get to know, um, your breath, your body, your story, your practice brings us to principle number three. And this opportunity to get you get to know yourself from the inside out. And all of these things we're talking about, getting to know your breath, getting to know your body, getting to know your story, folds out of principle one and principle two. When you're doing your own work, when you recognize you have trauma, then you start to know your story. Yeah. And from knowing your story, you can start to know the practices that will help you. And maybe that's just simply getting to know your breath and getting to know your body. And that might be a simple enough practice to get to know yourself from the inside out. And then you work from there and you know that that's always there wherever you go because a practice of coming back to your breath is very portable. You, know, you don't need a set of weights. You don't need a punching bag. You don't need any equipment. Although all those things are great. All of those things are great. But getting to know your breath is very, very portable. Coming back to your breath, you can do that anywhere, give or take. Mm. 
And it's also one of the most pleasurable things I think we can ever do as humans is arrive in our breath. There is something when you can slow it down and you feel like the texture, the temperature of your breath. It is like such a sensual experience mm. that you're just having with yourself in the simplicity of, of the present moment. And, it, you know, it's talked about so much of be present. But what does that mean? And if you've never fully experienced it, it just kind of sounds boring. <laughs> but once you've experienced it, it's like be a zombie. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a beautiful experience. And breathing, when you really give yourself the chance to, to, it's not having to learn a technique. It's just learning you. It's learning the nature of you. It's learning the rhythm and the harmonies and the coherence that's actually existing in every moment of your life, in your body, through your breath. And when you do this, it's it's quite life-changing. It's like, wow, I'm excited to be me. Like I'm excited to turn up here because I know that even in just a few minutes of tuning into my breath and my body, I can have this beautiful, loving, accepting experience. So it's, this is where this idea of interoception comes in, which is our eighth sense um, after proprioception, which is kind of knowing where our body is in space. But interoception is speaking to knowing your body from the inside out. You know, what is actually happening? Like, where is your liver, right? Have you ever talked to your liver? Could you locate your liver? What What do your kidneys say? You know, how are your lungs doing today? How often do we drop into our heart? And how often are we really giving our breath the time of day? This, this one thing that is maintaining our life, you know, you could inhale, exhale, and that's the last exhale you ever take and you die, right? That's the potential of every moment. We don't know when we're going to die. So can we look at that and look at this essence of, wow, there is magic actually in every breath if if I choose to see my life that way. And a lot of us go, well, I'm busy or I'm this, but no, no. If you simplify it, if you really, really simplify it, in every moment it is your choice how you want to feel and experience your external reality because it starts with your internal reality. And when we have a lot of pain or we don't know what's going on inside, it's hard to kind of gain that. And I'm not saying that it's easy or I'm definitely not berating you if you, you know, your life does feel really challenging and you're busy and overwhelmed and you, you can't focus on your breath. It's okay. It is absolutely okay because you can start this at any time and completely transform the relationship you have with your body and your mind and your emotions. And what we're passionate about is just offering this opportunity basically to think about yourself in a different way and to know that you are filled with good stuff mm. you are filled with love you are filled with joy and potential and vitality and endless amounts of energy when you can tune in and then know the sort of the practices and the daily resources that you require to to access this type of a life yeah and it's a great life when you do and it gives you this opportunity to use the tools that have been gifted to you from birth these wonderful lungs mm. etc your ability to move through space um, with awareness and that will settle your system so many times out of 10 <laughs> yeah you know it might be 10 it might be nine but if you give yourself the opportunity to slow down and to experience the moment because the vehicle to presence is the breath 
because the breath is only ever present. The breath is only ever in the present moment. It always disappears and returns in the present moment. So it is the absolute first step vehicle to presence is connecting to breath. And we can keep it very simple in that way. And obviously there's many, many breathing techniques and practices out there. And as you get to know your breath, maybe you'll be attracted to one or another. But simply getting to know your individual unique temperature, texture, frequency, pattern of breath is potentially one of the most pleasurable experiences you'll have on this path towards really getting to know yourself, which we very much encourage you to journey on if you're not already on that journey. Mm. We would call it the path of radical awareness. Mm. And um, we're going to... We're going to finish off with those first three today, yes. and this will be part one, and part we will one. continue on uh, going in a little more detail uh, with the principles yes. if you're into it. Mm-hmm. So again, thank you for joining us. Um, thank you for listening right to the end. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to hear more, um, click on whatever platform you're using, click on the, the subscribe button to get the notifications when we put out the next episode. And... Hopefully, we'll tick off these 10 principles in around about three episodes and then we'll be open to any requests that you have. Mm. Um, So get in contact with us. You can email us, studio at rawyoga.co.nz. You can grab us on Instagram, which is at rawyoga.nz and on Facebook, facebook.com slash rawyoga. No NZ on that one. Yeah, we actually been really cool. We've had a few of you reach out and share with us and ask things. So we are so open to chatting about all of this stuff. It mm. is very much what we love doing. Um, so yeah, feel free to get in contact. We look forward to, to hearing from you in the future. Mm. And that's all for now. So again, thank you very much. And see you in the next episode or hear you in the next episode. Yeah. And we love you. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> The Radical Awareness Podcast. Podcast.